0: listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. Hey, we are in this series where we're talking about shaping our faith, and we're a couple weeks into it. If you uh, were not here a couple weeks ago when we started this series, uh, I would really encourage you to jump online and listen to that first one so that you have a better reference for what we're going through over the next several weeks, because in that first uh, opening uh, of sermon of this series, we talked a whole bunch about kind of what we're going to walk through as a church, this idea of helping each other grow uh, in our spiritual formation, our spiritual workout plan, if you will. And so we talked about this idea of the core four, and the core four is all about developing our inner personal spiritual growth, like personally growing as a Christian has to do with these four disciplines that are in this core four uh, analogy in our little diagram that we went through a couple weeks ago. And those core four disciplines were text, prayer, worship, and fasting. And we talked a little bit about what those are, and we, kinda, we, we used an idea like the job of text is, the job of worship is, and then we talked about how we were going to unpack those in the weeks to come. Okay, and last week Aaron talked about prayer. This week I'm going to talk about the text. And the text of the four disciplines is really the one that's non-negotiable. Not to say that I would encourage you to try and grow as a Christian without any of the others, but if you don't develop a discipline of reading God's word and taking God's word into your spiritual diet, then um, you're gonna be off track, right? You're gonna have a hard time understanding who God is and what his plans are and where to find him and all of these things. And so if you were to only focus on prayer, like if that was your only discipline, you never really spent time in the word, you didn't worship, you didn't fast, you just really talk to God a lot. The challenge is over time, your prayers will start to be shaped by your own uh, circumstances and your own kind of selfishness. And it starts to become a lot about you talking to God about you and not really much you learning about God. That's just kind of human nature, how things work. So if that's the only thing you ever did, it wouldn't be a great route. Just like if worship was the only route you ever went for kind of trying to grow personally as a Christian, if worship was the only discipline you had, it wouldn't be a great route either because you'd start to find that your worldview, like what you think about the world and what you know about God would be shaped by the lyrics of the songs that you were hearing or singing, not so much shaped by God's word. They could be, but you wouldn't know right like if that was the only thing you did it wouldn't be an it wouldn't be a great way to grow if fasting was the only discipline you did okay this is where my analogy breaks down cuz nobody's going to only fast right if you are that person you're amazing but if you, if fasting was the only thing you did, if that was what you focused on, you didn't spend time in God's word and you didn't worship and you didn't pray and like you really just fasted, the challenge with that even is that it, 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 your motives can get mixed up and you could begin to even get off track where you're, the reason you're not eating or doing things could be for the wrong reasons. Body image issues, health issues could come into play. Like fasting even in and of itself if it was the only thing you did, isn't a great route to grow. And yet this core four, these four disciplines we're talking about are the disciplines that we need to develop, the exercises we need to learn how to do so that we can grow personally as Christians, right? The text of all four of them is the one that we would say is just non-negotiable. For us to grow in an understanding of who God is, we need to know what his word says about him. And in the text, there's all sorts of things that we can learn. Like we said that the job of the text is to give us knowledge, right? Say knowledge. The job of the text is to give us knowledge. And so there's all sorts of things we can learn from God's Word, right? God's Word teaches us about human history. It teaches us about uh, our human nature. It teaches us about right and wrong and sin and salvation. And it teaches us about um, events that have happened throughout the world and wars and famines and all kinds of things that have happened. But most importantly, God's Word, the text... Teaches us about God. The most important thing we'll learn from the discipline of being in God's Word, spending time reading God's Word, is that we're going to learn about God. First of all, we're going to learn about who God is. This is in your notes, and I just want to rattle through a couple of things with us together this morning. You're going to learn about who God is in Genesis, you learn that God is a creator. That he made everything, the heavens and the earth, the the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the uh, men and women, that he made us in his own likeness and image, that God is a creator. The next thing we learn is that God is a God that loves his creation. He loves the people that he made in his own likeness so much that he was willing to go to any length to make a way for us to receive forgiveness for sin and salvation. And so it says in John, that he would send even his only son to make a way for us to have forgiveness for our sin. What else do we learn? We learn from James that it says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. From James we learn that God's not a God that changes. We learn that God is a God, the provider of everything good that comes for us comes from God. That God is a good God that is a provider God that takes care of us and looks out for us. What else do we learn? We also learn about where he is at work, right? We learn about where God is at work as we spend time in the text. In Jeremiah it says, you'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart where we can find him. Sorry, I skipped one. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me, right? We learn as we dig into God's word that God is not a God that's hard to find, right? As we dig in and we spend time in the text, we see that God's not making it difficult. It's not a super secret way to get a hold of him, to find out where to find him, that if we seek him, we'll find him. He, he's, he's eager to reveal himself to those who seek him with all of his heart. Next one, when he's at work, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. We see that God is a God who literally is like looking the whole earth over, actively looking for people whose hearts are committed to him. Like he's looking for all in Christians, all in Jesus followers. And then as he finds them, he is eager to have your back, to strengthen you to come alongside, to spur you on, encourage you, like, like, like God is looking to help people who are all in for him. He is at work. We also see that the God who made the world and everything is uh, in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. We see that, that God is at work and amongst us. It's not a God who is in a temple. It's a God that makes himself available and aware and around us and is at work. In Acts, we see that he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything, but he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Like our God is a God that takes care of business. He takes care of us. He is at work giving us life and breath and everything we need. probably the most importantly, what we can learn as we spend time in the text is we learn about what does it look like? How do we follow God? We learned in Matthew that Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee and he sees some fishermen and he calls out to him and he asks them to, to drop their nets and come and follow him. It's a passage a lot of us are familiar with. He asks them to come and follow him and he's, he gives them this, this uh, instruction, this uh, promise that he's going to help them learn how to become fishers for men, right? We learn in God's word that if we're going to follow him, one, it's, it's going to be a process of laying down our plans, what our agenda was, what our goals and hopes and dreams were, and we're going to be transformed by Christ helping us learn how to do the things he wants us to do, to become fishers of men, it's a process of, hey, maybe a year ago, my goals and dreams were this, and this, my life's plan was this, these were the next step in my life's plans. But as you grow and mature and follow Christ, your plans start to shift and your, your plans start to become shaped by God changing your heart to be in line with his plans. You're more concerned with sharing him with other people than maybe your, the plans that you had previously, right? Next one. In John, he, sa- he records what Jesus says. He says, the new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so we see this from Jesus himself, like giving this picture of what does it look like to follow him, we see from the text. That first of all, if you're truly his disciple, it'll be evidenced by your love for him. And as you love him, it, it's easy for you to obey him and love other people. And as you love other people, it becomes a witness and a testimony to people around you that you're his disciple. Like there's this kind of cool circular thing going on that as you follow Christ and you obey him, it's, it's easier to love him. And as you love him, it's easier to obey and, and, it, and on and on it goes. And as we love one another it paints this picture to lost and hurting people around us that don't get what God's all about, that there's something different with God's people because God's people really love each other. Through hard times, through complications, through arguments, even when they don't even know each other, they look out for each other and help each other. And people from outside the church and outside of Christianity see things like that, and it shapes their view of who God is. Like if that's what God's like, that's pretty interesting. That, that, I might check that out. As we dig into God's word, we start to learn all about who God is, where he's at work, what he's like, what kind of a God he is. When we don't know what God's word says, We can also get off track, right? We can misunderstand or misinterpret things when we don't know what the text says. There's all sorts of, gosh, you could go on, you could have a whole sermon series for weeks on uh, misquoted texts, taken out of context, misunderstood, misapplied scriptures. Some of the ones that are real common that people hear all the time, people hear all the time about, uh, about money, right? They hear that the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. It's like, if that's true, all of us have got a problem. Because if we've got a pocket full of money or some money in our bank account, we better figure out how to get rid of it, right? Like, if it's the root of all evil, that doesn't sound good. The problem is that's not what the passage says, right? That's not what the passage says. It's a passage that's addressing greed, and the love of money, the love of money leads to all sorts of evil, is what it says in its proper understanding. And it's, it's a picture of this idea that when wealth building, savings above all things, like no matter what, you have to have so much money that you'll scheme and plot and try anything to get rich, that kind of attitude, that kind of desire and love and, and commitment to wealth building and money... That leads to all sorts of evil. And probably every one of us can go, oh yeah, I've seen all kinds of stories. I've seen news stories. You've seen the American greed and different Ponzi schemes and different ways that people manipulate and lie and deceive other people because their commitment to getting rich far outweighs what they care about anybody else. It leads to all kinds of evil. Another passage that gets taken out of context a whole lot uh, and misquoted Uh, regularly is uh, Philippians 4.13, which talks about, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength or Christ who strengthens me, right? There are people that say this passage, they sort of claim it as their, uh, uh, you know, throw me the winning touchdown, victory, you know, like, I can do all things to Christ. who gives me strength, right? Like, I'm going to get this route, and I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do this with the certain run that I've got set up ahead of me, or how much weight I'm lifting, or what uh, activity I'm committing to, like, or if you're a husband coming home from work and you got a wife and six small children, you're quoting this one all the way to the door, clinging to it, that hoping and praying it's true, Right? People pull this passage out of context all the time. It's a passage where Paul was writing to his disciple Timothy, trying to encourage Timothy to help him understand how to like, mature and continue to grow as a, as a disciple and to be able to, to in, encourage the people that were under his care and that he was influencing and, and discipling. And Paul was in jail, unsure of the outcome of the, the court hearing that he could be actually put to death for preaching and and teaching about the resurrection of Jesus. And in those circumstances, he was reflecting on his life and writing to his disciple, Timothy, and he was talking about how he's learned to be content in all things. Like, whether he had a lot of stuff and things were great and going awesome or whether things were going terrible. Like, he's learned how to be okay, and more than okay, like he's learned to be good at all times because no matter what his circumstances, no matter what was going on in his life or what his future held, he knew he could face up to anything because of the strength that Christ gave him. It's a whole different picture when you start to kind of get the, in your mind's eye the imagery of the story that's going on of this guy that's had this superhero life of Christianity that has been beaten and abused and persecuted and tortured and literally gets up beaten and bruised and bloody and comes back to town to keep talking to the people about Jesus that just beat him up and sent him to the edge of town. And he's like, I'm in no matter what. And I'll persevere because of the strength that Christ has given me. When we don't know what God's word says, we also don't know what it doesn't say. You follow me? When we don't know what God's word says, we also don't know what it doesn't say. As we're talking about the discipline of the text, the the goal isn't to give you a magic formula to read your Bible. You could Google, Dr. Google, and find out thousands of Bible reading plans. The Bible app that's on everybody's phone, if it's not, it should be, it's awesome. The Bible app is full of reading plans. I mean, it'll prompt it and it'll pop up on your phone in front of you. You don't even have to have a memory anymore, right? Like literally, it tells you what to do. Like there's all sorts of things and tools and resources to help you read your Bible or prompt you to read your Bible or different plans to follow. The goal isn't that you somehow magically follow the right plan, the goal is that you actually just spend time in the text. That you spend time in God's word. It's in God's word that you start to discover who God is, what his story is. For those of you that have spent time in the Word and have been a follower of Jesus for a while, if I was to go around and pick your brain and say, when as, over the years, you know, the time that you have spent reading God's Word, like, what's a, what's a theme or what's a big thing that sticks out to you? Probably, although you might remember a lot of things you've learned about God, there's probably a thing that you're like, oh, that was like my first big aha, that I really learned about God, or the thing that's really been recurring to me month after month recently, this is what I'm really learning about who God is as I spend time in the Word. For me, there's for sure a big aha. As I became a Christian and started to grow in my walk with Christ, I spent a lot of time reading God's Word. I was in Bible studies and classes and would read on my own, and I learned all sorts of things about God. But one thing really was a challenge for me. I've shared with you guys before that um, my parents were divorced. Uh, When I was seven years old, my dad uh, ended up uh, divorcing my mom and got remarried to another gal who had a couple of kids. And so I'm the oldest of my siblings and so over the years to come, uh, I became the de facto dad in our house. I can tell you, uh, it's not a great plan. Uh, don't do that if you're in that situation. <laughs> I became kind of the default dad, and so I became the tell my brothers and sisters what to do and when to do and where to do and how to do, and my mom was, uh, worked full time, and so she was not home a lot, and that made it easier for me to uh, step into the authority role. And of course, when you're a young person, uh, it feels pretty good to be in charge. And you sort of lured that over the siblings, which didn't work out well down the road, right? And so in the beginning, I really had no picture of what a dad was like. And so when I would learn and, and read in God's word and hear people talk about God as a father, it would really sit weird with me. I'm like, I can understand God as creator. And I loved creation science. It was one of the things I really got into as a, an early in my walk as a Christian. I loved studying about oppositions to evolution and why it can't be true and all these different cool, amazing creatures that God made. And it was fun learning about, like, there's no way this could have just happened randomly over time. And I, look, I dug in and, and enjoyed learning all those things. And it came easy to me to wrap my brain around, like, God as an amazing creator. And it came easy to me to wrap my brain around God as like infinite and omnipresent and sovereign, like authority overall. I didn't struggle a whole lot with that. I didn't struggle with the idea of Jesus being king of kings, like the idea, could I bow my knee and submit to God's authority as king? I'm like, yeah, that, uh, from what I know about God, he's a God I wanna follow. Like, I'll bend the knee to him. Like, I didn't struggle with that. What I struggled with, what rubbed me the wrong way was that God was a father. Because my picture of a father was mostly unhealthy. My view of a father was shaped by the fact that mine left and chose a different family. And it was reiterated over and over and over again when we would go for the obligatory visits, where we would go to see him for a weekend or a school break, I would, I would get to the point where we really did not look forward to the four-day weekends, which is a crazy thing if you're a kid. Because what it did for me is it put me in a direct view to be reminded that my dad chose other kids besides his. I didn't get excited to see him, I got brokenhearted and insecure that, that I had a dad that wanted a different family. That's the life I grew up in. I, I, it's not a, I'm so not saying it to beat up on my dad, at all. It just is what it is, and so for me as an adult to come to God's word and to read the text and to see that, that God's word talks about God as a father, didn't reconcile with me. It didn't make sense to me. But like God's word often does, it meets us where we're at, gives us the knowledge and understanding of who he is in unique ways. The ways that we need to hear at different times in our life. And there was a passage that our church Used this passage as a part of a teaching and some instruction that we would go through. And so it was a passage that I happened to be in a season of life where I was just hearing it over and over and over again. And it just kept, like every time, it would just kind of keep chipping away at this, this dad thing, this idea of God as a dad. It would just keep chipping away and showing me a picture of who God really is as a dad, as a father. It's a passage a lot of people are familiar with, probably most everybody in here is familiar with. It's from Luke chapter 15. And in Luke 15, it starts off where um, Jesus is sitting to eat and hang out with sinners and tax collectors. The picture that conjures up in my mind and always has is he's like sitting down with felons and thieves that haven't got caught, right? They, the, the people that everybody knows in town are doing something wrong, they just haven't got busted yet, that's his crowd. And he sits down with, with these people, and the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, look down their nose at him and are frustrated that he would sit with these people. Like it, it, It's rubbing them the wrong way. And in response to that, Jesus tells some stories. And they're stories that a son... Tells about his dad. He's trying to help the people there understand the kind of dad or father that God is. He tells a story about a shepherd who has sheep, and of this whole flock of sheep, one of the sheep gets lost, and so the shepherd drops everything, leaves the sheep, that are okay to go and find the sheep that's lost and, and then brings the sheep that's lost. When he finds it, he brings it back. And when he brings it back, this shepherd throws a party and celebrates. And I remember the first se- several times through, I would read this and was first ever reading this passage. I would be like looking at it like Mr. Logical Guy going like, really? Seems a little over, over the top right? Like there's a whole bunch of sheep. Surely there must be some getting lost all the time. Like does he really throw a party every time? And then God would keep working things over for me and keep revealing to me and speaking to me going, don't get hung up on the facts. Listen to what Jesus is saying. Listen to the type of father that Jesus is describing to sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees. He's saying, my dad is the kind of dad that will drop everything and go find one of his lost sheep. And when he finds him and brings him back home, we all stop what we're doing and celebrate because it's awesome. And he goes on to tell another story about a woman who has a, a handful of coins. And one of her coins gets lost and, and she literally turns the house upside down, searching the whole house in a panic to find this special coin that's been lost. And, and after hours of cleaning and searching, if you've ever lost anything important like the remote at home, you know the kind of searching, like frantic searching. That kind of searching she does. When she finds this coin, she throws a party, she celebrates, she tells people about it. It's a big deal. And you're like, that sounds kind of weird. And if you're looking at the story for face value, it sounds kind of weird. If you're understanding that Jesus was telling people what kind of a dad his dad is. He's the kind of God, the kind of father that when he finds one of his treasured people, one of his special coins that had been lost, he celebrates. It's a big deal. He's like, I don't know if you guys are hearing me that when, when you're lost, when you go astray, when things go wrong in your life, God is on the hunt to find you. Like he will drop everything to find you because he loves you that much. And when he finds you, hang on, because we're gonna celebrate. And he goes on to tell another story as if to say, like, in case you're not getting it, in case this isn't sinking in for you, the kind of father that God is, let me tell you this story. And he tells a story about a a father with two sons, and one wants his inheritance. And a lot of us are super familiar with this story, you've heard it many times. And the prodigal son, he goes away and he wastes the money on stupid living and does dumb things and the older brother stays at home and does all the right things. And the thing that's always stood out to me has nothing to do with the older brother, has nothing to do with the younger brother and how good he was or bad he was or what he did or didn't do or how perfect the older brother was or wasn't. What's always stood out to me is what I learn about God as a father. Because when the son comes back, he's ready to like spill his guts to the father and say, how bad he's blown it, that there's, he doesn't deserve to even come back as a son, that he, he, at best he should be a hired hand, right? He's, he's coming to make his case for how bad he's blown it, how far off track he went, how dumb he was, how ashamed he was. He's got his whole story wrapped, you know, mapped out in his mind. And as he gets to the home, the dad comes out and meets him And as he starts to give his spiel about how bad and how far off, the dad just interrupts him and is like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You got to get over here. And he just gives him a big old hug. And right away, it's like, that's not the kind of dad picture I grew up with. That's not the kind of father I had. This is a really cool kind of dad. I'm like, that's the kind of dad I want. And for years, like so many of us, we long for our dads to be those kind of dads. Instead of putting all of my hope that my dad would somehow miraculously be that, that he won't, that I now put my hope in a father God who will be that, who is standing at the end of the driveway. Every time I make a mess of stuff, He's ready to take me back. That he's a God that's quick to forgive and very eager to celebrate when we come back from making a mess. It's just like, really? like I mean, it sounds too good to be true almost. For me, digging into God's word, spending time in the text... I learned all sorts of things. There are all kinds of things I learned. Getting to go on the Turkey trip and walk the text with Aaron. I learned all kinds of things. I'm excited to get to go to Israel and I'm gonna continue learning and growing in my understanding of God and who he is and what his history is and all of those things. But when the rubber meets the road and it comes down to the what do I really know? What, what's God really taught me from spending time in his word? The thing above all things that sticks out to me for me personally, is that I have a father that loves me and is quick to forgive me and picks me, didn't forsake me, that would go to any length to find me when I am an idiot. And so as you spend time in God's word, as you dig in and you mine the text and study and read, I know that God will be faithful to show you the things that you need to know about him and his people and his nature and who he is and what he's like. And it may be very different than what stuck out to me, but we'll only know if we go there, if we actually take the time to develop the discipline to get in and spend time in God's word. With that in mind, we're gonna switch gears and take communion together this morning as we wrap up. So, as they serve communion, remember at Real Life we have an open table, and that means that anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is welcome to have communion with us. We would love for you to take it. Um, Just hang on to the elements when they get passed out, and we will take communion together as a family in a couple minutes while they are passing those things out, we're gonna go through some questions that are in your notes. They're also gonna be up on the screen. And what we're doing through this series is our home groups are kind of shadowing the sermon series. So if you're in a home group, your discussion is gonna be built around what the sermon was about Sunday to help you kind of like dig in and take this to the next level in a smaller group of people that can really discuss stuff. So here's some questions that you'd be talking about this week in your groups. Uh, what most intimidates you about reading the Bible? Like, that's probably something that a lot of people have a thought about, have an answer for. So as you dig in in your home groups, you get a chance to start developing intimacy with each other. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. As you reveal real stuff about yourself and they reveal real stuff about them, you get to know each other on a whole new level. A question like that will help you get there. Next one. Who do you talk to about what you're reading? Who do you talk to about what you're reading? One of the challenges is that a lot of times we spend time in the Word, but we don't plug in and connect and talk to anybody else about it. So who do you discuss what you're reading with? Next one. What could someone learn about you if they opened your Bible and flipped through it? If somebody grabbed your Bible and flipped through and started seeing all the notes and highlights and chicken scratches and hieroglyphics, what would it tell them about you? I've heard a lot of cool stories over the years being around a lot of funerals where people have a Bible that belonged to a grandma or a grandpa or a parent that gets passed on when that person passes away. And when they look through their Bible, it tells a story of that person's walk with Christ. You get to see it's a little bit like seeing a window into somebody's soul. Like, what, was, what passages were really important to them? How do you know? Because they underlined them, circled them, and then they came back years later and there's a different color over them again. And you're like, that must have really meant something to them, right? What would somebody learn about you if they looked through your Bible? Next one. How can we help each other cultivate this discipline? So when it comes to spending time in God's word... It's not about a perfect reading plan or the magic formula. It's just about actually doing it, right? Just actually sitting down and spending time reading God's word. How can we help each other? We, this group, is kind of hard to do. You can get a boost once a week when you're here and a reminder, but if you're in a home group and you're meeting throughout the week with a smaller group of people that you're talking up to in that group and texting and spurring each other on, you can actually have tangible accountability in a good way to help each other stay on track. So if you're not in a home group um, for the hundred millionth time in the nicest way, we love you, get in one. You are missing out. You are missing out if you are not in a home group. Well, we're gonna take a time to finish up this morning by taking communion together. Um, The fact that that God is the kind of God that's a a father that will go to any length to find his lost kids is really cool to me. It's really comforting to me to know that I have a dad that's looking out for me no matter what. I like knowing that about God. I like knowing that God would go to the length of sending his son to die on the cross for us to pay the penalty for our sins, not mine, but for anybody that would want to be a part of his family. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.